Uh, let me say a shout out uh, and welcome to you if you're uh, in the chapel, if you're in the overflow, all, wherever you are all around here. we got a busy one this time, and we're really glad that you're here. I, I want to give you some hopefully new information about how to understand Easter, okay? So you've done it a lot of years, and you know how to do it, you know, but you may not understand what it's really all about. And I like to pass on new information. Somebody sent me this, and, you know, I mean, nobody likes to clean their toilet, right? So I got a new toilet cleaning idea for you, and, I, you know, just by way of being the helpful guy that I am, I'm going to pass it on. Okay. Put both lids of the toilet up and add one-eighth of a cup of pet shampoo to the water. Pick up your cat and soothe him while you carry him towards the bathroom. <laughs> in one smooth movement, put the cat in the toilet and close both lids. You may need to stand on the lid. The cat will, I love this phrase, self-agitate and make ample suds. Never mind the noises that come from the toilet. The cat is really enjoying themselves. Flush the toilet three or four times. This provides a power wash and rinse. Have someone open the front door of your home. Be sure there's no one standing between the front door and your bathroom. Stand behind the toilet as far as you can and quickly lift both lids. The cat will rock it out of the toilet, streak through the bathroom, and run outside where he will dry himself off. Both the commode and the cat will be sparkling clean. Sincerely, the dog. Okay, there you go. <laughs> uh, I, I want you to feel welcome and at ease today, and I'm going to try to give you some new information about Easter. We're really, really glad that you're here. And we don't care where you've been. We don't care what you've come from. We don't care if you grew up in a church home or not. We don't care if you grew up, obviously, because we didn't, right? We have people who worship here who grew up Muslim, who were Buddhist, who, who, who were Jewish, who are all flavors of Christianity, and, and we love you, we welcome all of you, okay? Most of the people that, that are here grew up Catholic in one way or the other, okay? Uh, and I understand that. And I know that some of you are like, I'm not sure I'm supposed to be in here because I'm Catholic. And no, you gotta understand, we're not Protestants, okay? We're not protesting anything. You're welcome to be here, and I wanna set you at ease and make sure that you feel okay. So would everybody who grew up Catholic, I just want to prove my point. Everybody who grew up Catholic, just raise your hand right now. All right, you see what I'm saying? All these people can't go to hell at the same time, so you're all good. That's all I'm saying. My friends are gonna be there too. Cause I went to Easter at Parkview, I'm on a, no, no, you're not on the highway to hell, it's okay, I'm going to tell you about this, because that's the whole beauty of Easter, it's so awesome, and it's all summed up in this one really great verse, John 3, 16, God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. And so I use the illustration of the bridge up here for this, because I want to try to help you basically just explain the gospel as easy as I can, as best I can, and I love having, you know, something to be able to point to. So this is the analogy of our relationship with God, all right? We've got this bridge, and then obviously you can see there's a hole in the bridge. The Bible calls it a chasm. It wasn't always like this. It used to be together, Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. Everything was wonderful. Everything was perfect. What happened? Adam and Eve sinned, and when they brought sin into the world, the Bible tells us that we have pain and death in the world now. The Bible tells us that the wages of sin is death. So now there is separation here. You see what I'm saying? Now there's a problem. Now we can't be around a holy God because he's holy and he's perfect, and we're not. And so we needed to figure out some way to get across this chasm. That's what the Bible calls it. 
this chasm that is in front of us. A great chasm, it says in Luke, has been set in place so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross from there over to us. And we're stuck on this side, on the death side. Okay? And we're stuck here with pain and suffering. People ask me all the time, well, what about pain and suffering? Well, I'll tell you about pain and suffering. God didn't cause it. We did. It's because we live here. In the Old Testament, the Bible tells us that it's our iniquities that have separated us from God, that it's our sins that make him have to hide his face from us. When Jesus was on the cross, he had to hide his face. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because my sins were on Jesus. That's where the separation came from. God didn't want it to be that way. It's the way that it is because we have sin. So we're stuck over here where there's death and disease and everything is not perfect. You understand that? It's not encouraging, but I want to tell you we're stuck here, okay? And the problem is you got to be perfect to get over there. So turn to your neighbor and tell them they're not perfect, all right? It wasn't supposed to be that fun, okay? (laughs) Not sure why it's so much fun. Every service has a blast telling each other they're not perfect. But the problem is we're stuck over here on the bad side of the bridge, okay? So let's see how this whole thing works. Here's how we look at life. I promise you this is how you do it. I know this, okay? There are the good people, right? And there are the bad people. Okay, we, we have the, the good people that are as close to God as you can possibly get. This is the human hall of fame right here, right? You got, you got Mother Teresa, you got Billy Graham, you got the Pope, right? Your saintly grandmother, me, and you know, all the people that are really, really good, they're right up here, right? That's how we feel, okay? And we know we're not here, right? And I know I'm not here, really. I wouldn't be in that category. Where do we usually put ourselves? This is so funny. Every time, I promise you, if I asked you, where do you think you are in humanity, you would give yourself something like a C or a D, right? 65, maybe a 70 out of 100, you're going to be right about here. Some of you are dumb enough to think, you know, maybe I'm an 80, you know, maybe I'm an 85. Oh, yeah, I got an A. But most of us are reality here, right? Most of us are realists, and we know we're here. No, we're not going to admit the fact that we might be down here because, you know, there's Hitler and all those people down there, right? But it doesn't really matter. We like to do this, but it doesn't really matter because one way or the other, the chasm is uncrossable. First night, some little kid came up and said, I could jump that. I don't care. It's just an illustration, okay? This is just my illustration. All right. So, so the question is, how do we get from over here to over there? How do we do that? Well, some people try to not worry about it. They say, you know what? It's not going to matter. I'm not going to try to get over there. I'm just going to cope with the way things are over here. Psychologists call them coping mechanisms we use along the way. Some of them are good things. Some of them are bad things. You know, we have addictions. We get into relationships. We follow hopeless baseball teams. You know, we do all kinds of things. And some of those things bring us pleasure for a little bit. There are little tastes of God here in this world because God's still, you know, hanging out here with us to the certain degree that he can. There are little flavors of God like bacon, I don't, I don't even know if I'll like bacon. <laughs> what do you think? I have seen the face of God. 
Uh, the problem is it doesn't last very long, right? It, do, it doesn't last. I mean, it's going to go away. You're going to get your cholesterol report. The doctor's going to make you quit eating, and that's what happens. So we're stuck over here. The coping mechanisms don't work very well because these mind-numbing escapes and these addictions and these things that we do, we realize when we get off of them that a lot of times we've just slid down farther down the scale than we were when we started. And we end up dragging people down with us along the way. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. So some people try to cope with being over here by coping mechanism. Other cope, others of us cope in good ways. We try to make this place as nice as possible. We raise good families. You know, we take care of the poor. We take care of the environment. And, and we, we, we agree with that. We think that's a good idea, okay? I mean, we're supposed to bring heaven to earth and earth to heaven. That's my mantra. We bring as much heaven over here as we can, and we take everybody from earth to heaven that we possibly can. That's what we do. And we believe in that here. One of the things that we're doing right now, I mean, we're, we're involved in so many projects, I, I don't even know them all. But one of the things that's been a pet project for us is, is to build the first safe house for rescued prostitutes and sex trafficked girls in Chicago. And we got word this week from city officials that things are going really, really well. Okay? I'm a, I can't wait. That's what we ought to do, right? I can't wait to tell you about this whole thing. It's unbelievable. Uh, and, and we should do that. I, I absolutely want to make this as good a place as I possibly can. But the problem is at the end of the day, all the coping things I do, good or bad, they still don't get me over there. So how do we get over there? Well, that's where we come up with religion, all right? That's where we come up with this illustration. I'm just going to change over here because i got to bring the ladder out because I don't think that you understand religion the way that I do. When I talk about religion, I'm not talking about a relationship with God. I'm talking about this whole idea that maybe I can work myself up to get to the good place where God's going to like me, right? This is my illustration of religion. Religion is, I'm going to try to be good. I'm going to try to follow the Ten Commandments. I'm going to try to do all the things that I possibly can so that I can get up really high. And the goal is not really to get to God because we know we're never going to get there. Again, the goal is to get up high enough that there are more people below you than there are above you, right? So that if God grades on the curve, he's going to swoop down at the end of time and he's going to swing by and he's going to pick up all the people from rung three on up. This is religion, okay? If that describes it for you, that's exactly what I've got going on here. This is what I see happen, okay? The irony of religion, those of you who have been in a religious background long enough, like I have, I've been a Christian all my life, the real, real irony of this whole thing is that the higher I get over here, the better view I have of how far away I am from God. I mean, the more of the Bible I read and the more of God that I understand, the more I realize I am not anywhere close to the person that I ought to be, and I have no idea why he would swoop down and pick me up and take me with him someday. And if that feels familiar to you, then that's religion. I told the congregation last week I was going to show this clip. I, just, I was just reminded this last week of when I was like 13 years old, an evil Knievel, who was young people, this daredevil motorcycle guy, decided he wasn't going to try to ride a motorcycle over this canyon. He was going to ride a rocket over the Snake River Canyon. And, uh, you know, it was on national television. I mean, you know, everybody was watching. It was really, really big news. I'll let you watch it. I was a dead man. I never thought that I had a prayer. I didn't think that thing would get 10 feet. Whoa, it looks like a good one. Whoa. 
Oh, evil, stay with the bird. He looks like he's... Whoa, there's been a mistake. He looks like he's going into the canyon. The ship's going down. Missed it by that much, right? I mean, when I thought of that, that's exactly what it is. And Evil Knievel, what he was saying beforehand was, we did a couple of test rockets and they didn't make it, and I thought, I'm not going to make it either. Is that how you feel about heaven? Do you feel like, you know, I mean, I don't even know. I don't know if this is going to work. I, I mean, I, I, I've been on rung three some. Sometimes I slide down to rung two. Every once in a while, you know, on a really good day, I get up to rung four. But I don't know, I don't know how this is ever going to work for me. Let me put your mind at ease. It's not going to work for you. All have sinned, the Bible says, and fall short of the glory of God. Nobody can get to God by climbing the ladder of religion. So forget about it. Now, the question people ask me all the time is, well, then why did God give us this whole Bible full of rules if he didn't want us to, you know, if he didn't want us to follow them? And let me explain that in a couple of ways. For one, and I'll come back to this, the way God told us to live is still the best way to live. I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying that you're not judged according to how well you follow them anymore, and that's the story of Easter. Well, why did God give us this law? The Bible says that it, it's the straight edge of the law that shows us how crooked we really are. See, here's the problem. If you don't know this, if you don't know, if you haven't seen the Ten Commandments, if you don't know what's going on, you don't know the things that you're supposed to do, you're probably going to grade yourself up pretty high, maybe a B, maybe an A. But the more you read this, as I said, the more you realize that you're pretty messed up. The Bible says it's the straight edge of the law that shows us how crooked we really are. This is a, this is a laser level. My brother-in-law got it for me for Christmas one year. I, I went home. I was pretty excited about it. You just plop it in the wall, and you level up the little bubble, and then it shoots a, a laser across your wall. It's pretty cool if you want to hang, like, multiple pictures and get them all at the same place, you know, or whatever. And, and so I went home, and I did it. We hung some pictures, and it was really neat. And then I went to another wall where I already had some pictures hung up, and I put it up there. And that's when I had a decision to make. Am I going to rehang all of the things on my wall? Or am I going to throw this in a drawer and never get it out again? And the battery's dead because I threw it in the drawer and I never got it back out again. Okay? That's what we do with religion. We can either look at this and go, wow, I'm really off and I need to change. Or I can look at this and go, ah, forget about it. You know? And we do this when we compare ourselves to everybody else. right? We get up and we look in the mirror and we say, I'm good enough. I'm smart enough, and doggone it, people like me. <laughs> but what is good enough, Stuart? That's my question. What's good enough? I'm not talking about comparing yourself to Lindsay Lohan. I'm talking about comparing yourself to what God wants to have happen. I'm sorry, Lindsay, if you're watching. <laughs> good enough is perfect, okay? Am I... Perfect? No. That's why the ladder doesn't work, you guys, because we can never make this happen. And the other problem with the ladder for a lot of us is that we're starting to get to the point where we realize we're running out of time. 
And the more I keep going up and down this ladder and not getting to God, the more I realize I'm running out of time and I'm going to die one of these days. My wife made a reservation at a motel in Cincinnati when my middle daughter was looking at colleges back in the day. And, um, and, and then Lauren decided not to look at the college in Cincinnati. Evidently, it wasn't expensive enough for her. So, so Denise went to cancel. This is a true story. Went to cancel the reservation at this motel. And she called up the number and the lady said something and she wasn't really paying any attention. And Denise said, I'd like to cancel my reservation for tomorrow. And the lady on the other end of the line said, um, this is a funeral home. <laughs> Listen, I don't care how much kale or tofu you eat, you are not canceling your reservation at the funeral home. At some point, we're all going to be out of here. So if religion can't get us over there, what does? What can? I mean, if we can only be perfect by getting over there, then I guess somebody's going to have to make us perfect. 2 Corinthians 5.21, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become perfect. That's what this Easter story is all about. When you were dead in your sins, Paul said, God made you alive in Christ. He forgave our sins, having canceled the written code with its regulations that was against us, that stood opposed to us. He took it away, nailing it to the cross. Do you understand that? It's gone. It doesn't happen anymore. We don't need a ladder anymore. We need the bridge to get to the other side. So we just take this and we throw it away because we don't need it anymore. It's not important to us. John 6 says, they asked him, what must we do to do the work God requires? In other words, what ladder are we supposed to climb to get up to God? And here Here's the answer from Jesus. Listen to this. Jesus said, the ladder is dead. The work of God is this. You believe in the one he sent. God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Romans says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. For what that law was powerless to do, God did by sending his own son to be the sin offering to make me perfect. So what does that mean? That means I just have to believe in Jesus and I'm, I'm saved? Yeah. That's what it means. Does that mean I can live however I want to? Is it Fat Tuesday, you know, every day? I mean, how does this whole thing work? No, no, listen. The things that God gave us, the, 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 the level, level is still good, you guys. Level's the best way to live. We just finished a series around here. If you're new, you should go back online and watch it. We've got an app. We've got it online. Everything's there. Seven deadly sins. Because a lot of people think the seven deadly sins are about the sins that are going to condemn you to hell forever. But that's not the truth. The truth of the matter is there is no sin that will condemn you to hell forever. If you have Jesus, all sins are forgiven. The deadlies are the ones that screw up your life. Come on. I mean, think about the Ten Commandments. Don't murder, don't lie, don't steal, don't commit adultery. I, I, I got to ask you, are those things ever helpful for you? Do those things ever make your life better? No, they're deadly. That's the whole deal. That's why God gave us level. 
But I want you to understand that God's word is here to show us how to live, not to judge us so that we're good enough to get into heaven. That doesn't work. It's the same reason that you told your kids not to run with scissors and you told your kids not to look both ways before they cross the street, right? You tell them that because you love them. That's why God gave us this stuff, because he loves us. Did you kick him out of the family when they ran with scissors one day? No, and he's not going to do that either. He just wants to love us. So here's the deal. The deal is now there's a bridge. Now there's eternal life available. Now the cross comes along, and we have a choice to make. All right, let me go back over to this side for a little bit. All right, listen to this verse from John chapter 5. This is really fascinating. John 5, 24. I, I know I'm in heaven. It's pretty awesome, isn't it? Hang on. I tell you the truth. Whoever hears my word and believes in him who sent me, please remember a little bit of English just for a second, okay? Has eternal life and will not be condemned. He has crossed over from death to life. What tense was that, English students? That was present tense. It's not future tense. It doesn't say whoever hears my words and believes in me will have eternal life. It says he will have right now. He has eternal life right now. That's, that's what's possible for us right now. Well, Tim, are you saying I can live on that side of the bridge? Yeah, I'm saying you can live on this side of the bridge. Okay, this is really important. Theologically, I'm the closest thing to an expert you've got today. Okay, just listen to this. Theologically speaking, Jesus did not have to rise from the dead to save us. The cross made everything possible. His death on the cross, his substitution made us perfect. You understand that? Well, then why did he rise from the dead? He rose from the dead. I mean, he was only here for a few weeks after he rose from the dead, right? And then he went back to the Father. He didn't need to do that. Why did he do that? Because he wanted us to understand that we could actually live in new life now. We don't have to wait until after we're dead. Jesus all the time was saying things like, the kingdom of God is in your midst what do you mean? How, how, how's that possible? Well, let me give you three examples. One in the past, one in the present, one in the future. One, in the, one about the past. Would you like to have forgiveness for your past right now, or would you like to have forgiveness for your past after you die? I mean, do you want to live with the guilt of all the things that have gone on in your life? Because a lot of us do. Oh, I feel so bad. I feel so bad. You got to wait until heaven comes before you can get rid of that? No. Jesus already died for that, so why are you crucifying yourself all over again? I find it fascinating when I read John's account of the, of the whole Easter story at the very beginning. Listen to this. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed. As she came running to Peter and the other disciple Jesus loved, named John, we know that's John, and said, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb. We don't know where they put him. Those are the first three people at the tomb. Fascinating. Why? Well, because Mary Magdalene was a person who had seven demons taken out of her. 
I, I don't know if it was her fault, but you know what? At some point, Mary was grateful to Jesus and probably felt pretty bad about living all those years with seven demons inside, right? Who else is there? John. John was a son of thunder. That's what they called him. He was the son of thunder when Jesus found him. Either he was a part of a, a political zealot group or he was a postal employee. We don't know what he was, but one way or another, he had issues when Jesus found him and his life had been changed. What about Peter? No, oh, Peter's there. Yeah, just a few days ago, right? Peter said, I'm going I'm, I'm to be with you, Jesus. I got this. And then he denied him three times. You understand this, right? Isn't it interesting? Perhaps the first people to come to the tomb were the people who needed him the most. The people who felt the worst about their life. The people who needed forgiveness for their past the most. Jesus on the cross said, it is finished. That was a Greek term that meant paid in full. It's done. It's over. It's up to you to decide if you want to live in that freedom. It's up to you to decide if you want to live with forgiveness of your past. I promise you if you believe in Jesus, he's given it to you. It's up to you to decide if you want to live over here or live over there. What else? What about the present? Well, would you like some power to live in the present? Because we still have death. We still have disease. We're still not in the eternal perfect place where we're going to be. So we're going to need some power. Well, think about these people again. Peter, John, these are fishermen, right? These are very ordinary people. And this weekend, two billion people around the planet are going to celebrate Easter. Do you understand that? Why? Because two fishermen who weren't very faithful disciples, got the power of God inside of them and stood up and started preaching. And that same power, we just sang that song, that same power lives in us. That's incredible, isn't it? Listen to Acts 4. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and they realized that these were fishermen, unschooled and ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that they had been with Jesus. It could change your life today. It could give you power. I don't know what's going on in your life right now, but it could give you power. When you look up at me preaching from heaven to thousands of people this weekend, when you look at the ministry that goes on around here, 219 people baptized last weekend, when you see that, you should take note that we've been with Jesus. This isn't about me. This isn't about us. This is about the power of God that's in this place, and you know it is. And it's because of the resurrection, and you can have it too. The Bible says, in all things, we are more than conquerors through him who loves us. More than conquerors. We can do this. And the last thing is hope for eternity. And what do you have hope in? What are, you, what are you anxious for someday? Are you thinking about retirement? You're going to buy a rad bike and take your babe out for a ride when you get down to Florida, the retirement home? <laughs> that looks great, doesn't it? What is it you're hoping for? Because more than anything else, I feel like people are hopeless today. Listen to this. The disciples went back to their homes. I'm back to the resurrection story. But Mary stood outside the tomb crying. And as she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. And they asked her, woman, why are you crying? You know why she was crying? Because she'd lost her hope. Jesus was her only hope, and she'd lost it. Maybe you don't have Jesus, and you don't have hope either. Watch Easter happen. At that time, there was a strong earthquake, 
And an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and went to the tomb and rolled the stone away from the entrance. Then he sat on the stone. I love that. He just was like, nah, nah. He was shining bright as lightning and his clothes were white as snow. I'd love to have been an angel. The soldiers guarding the tomb shook with fear because of the angel and they became like dead men. Maybe he won't notice this, you know, right? Now I gotta ask you a question. Why did the angel move the stone? I guess all my life I always just thought, you know, the angel moved the stone so Jesus could get out. <laughs> and then if you think about it, that is really, really dumb, isn't it? Like Jesus can come back from the dead. He's like, oh man, I used all my energy coming back from the dead. Could somebody move this rock for me? Seriously, did Jesus need help? I mean, I, I think if he could conquer death, he doesn't need help rolling a rock. And actually, as you dig back into the text, it really looks like Jesus is already out when the angel moves the stone. Because remember, he's in this supernatural kind of body where he can appear different places. Jesus is already out. So again, I ask you, why did the angel move the stone? For whom was the stone moved? Listen. They said in Matthew's version, come and see the place where his body was. I think the angel moved the stone not so Jesus could get out, but so that we could get in, so that we could see in, so that we could have hope for our lives. Do you see this? And when the women looked in, they hurried away from the tomb, listen to this, afraid yet filled with joy and ran to tell his disciples. I love that phrase. Afraid? Yeah, we still don't know everything that's going to happen. We don't know the future. We're not God. We still live in a place where there's death and disease and bad things happen, yet filled with joy. Jesus said he came so that his joy would be in us and that our joy would be full. You should, when you leave this place, have the stupid look of joy on your face. And I'm doing everything I can to try to help you. Because that's why Easter is fun. That's why we sing the happy song. That's why this is so awesome. And if you want to know what the stupid look of joy looks like, I will show you right now. I showed this picture several weeks ago. Uh, it's our family pic, my wife and I's 30th, the wedding anniversary, and our girls and their husbands got together and uh, threw us a little deal out in Ventura, California, where the middle one and her husband live, and uh, we were all hanging out there taking pictures, okay? Now I can tell you the rest of the story, because the rest of the story is even better. It's at this point that the photographer says, you know, he's always trying to get you to smile. He says, okay, everybody say October 12th. And so we all go, October 12th. You can kind of see it on her mouth. October 12th. That's kind of weird. What is that? His birthday? Then he said it again. October 12th. And we still don't get it. And finally he says, okay, Ash, put your hands on Rachel's stomach and say October 12th. <laughs> and that's when I found out I'm going to be a grandpa, ladies and gentlemen. Now, this is our secret. Don't tell the other services. We still got like five to go here, okay? <laughs> Don't put this on social media. Just keep it to yourself right now. But listen, 
I, I just showed you that. I mean, obviously, it's fun for me to tell everybody, but I also want to show you because the beautiful part about having a camera person there to capture the moment is for you to see the stupid look of joy. <laughs> it gets better. <laughs> uh, I look like I'm having a mental moment, don't I? And finally I think, oh yeah, I should go hug everybody. Everybody's hugging. I better go over there. Okay, that, ladies and gentlemen, is the joyful promise of new life that gives you this stupid look of joy. And that's what Easter ought to be for you. Do you see what I'm saying? It's the best news in the world. So the women hurried from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy. Yes, afraid, I understand. It's still not always going to be wonderful. I get that. But filled with joy. Because hope gives us joy. And that's us. <clears throat> We're the ones who don't get to see. He's probably not going to pop in here and show us the nail prints in his hands. So it comes down to faith for you and I. I've described the story to you as best as I possibly know how, and I believe it with all of my heart. I wouldn't tell the story 10 times in one weekend if I didn't believe it with all of my heart, okay? The question is, what are you gonna do with it? And I wanna tell you that it's not about you figuring out all of the nuances of the eternal scheme of God and how everything was supposed to work. It's about you cracking the door of your heart open and saying, yes, Lord, I believe a little and letting him come in. Ten Commandments always gets shown Easter weekend. The Charlton Heston version. I mean, it's crazy, but ABC's just got this thing where they play it. And you know, you grew up with it, always on, on, uh, on Easter weekend. And part of that is because of the Passover, the whole Passover deal. This is Passover weekend that we're celebrating right now when they took the lamb and they slaughtered it and they put the blood over their doorpost so that the death angel would pass by and the death angel passed over. And when Jesus came, his blood became the Passover for us so that we don't have to die. But there's an interesting scene in the Ten Commandments. <clears throat> it's one of the plagues. It's the frogs. And um, I, I don't know if it's in the movie or not, but it's in the story, in the story of the Ten Commandments, where the frogs are there, and they're driving everybody nuts, and, and Pharaoh says, you got to get rid of these frogs. And Moses says, okay, you got to let my people go. And Pharaoh says, okay, I'll do it. And, and Moses says, when do you want me to let, get rid of the frogs? It's the strangest thing. Go read it. Pharaoh says, I want you to get rid of the frogs tomorrow. <laughs> There's a famous sermon on this called One More Night with the Frogs. Why would you wait? Why would you wait till tomorrow? Why would you say, yeah, I, I just told you the best story you're ever going to hear. Why would you wait until tomorrow or wait till some other time? Why would you try to trust the ladder and say, oh, I, I think if I just get a little bit better, then maybe I'll believe this story? No, no, no. It's not about any of that. It's about you and your heart and you saying, Jesus, I believe. I want to follow you. Will you come and help me? And you know that he will. 
We're going to do communion, and, and I just want to tell you right up front, you don't have to be from Parkview. Um, if you're a believer, we welcome you to commune with us. And the way we do it, just to make it simple for you, is there's a tray that's going to come by, and there's two cups, one inside of the other. If you'll take out both cups at the same time, you'll find that the bread is in the bottom cup and the juice is in the top cup. We've got it all simple for you. You can just grab those two and hold them for a moment, and we will all take communion together in unison as one big body. And we are really glad that you're a part of our body. Let's pray. Lord, I love that Peter says you're back. And I, and I know that you are back anyway, but you showed up so that you could prove to us that you really are real, that you really do care for us, that you're really here, and that that same power that lived inside of you that brought you back from the dead now lives inside of us. And we can have forgiveness for our past, and we can have power for the present, and most importantly, we can have the stupid look of joy on our face as we have hope for the future. That's why Easter's so awesome. That's why we're happy. Afraid, yeah, but filled with joy. Lord, there are people in this room who probably haven't had communion in a really long time. They've been away from you for whatever reason, and, and they're here. <clears throat> Maybe they're in the chapel, maybe they're watching on the internet. I don't even know, Lord, that they could share in communion with us too. And I, if it's been a long time, Lord, I, I just pray for those people that they will know that this is the home they're welcome to come back to, that, that the Father is always welcoming us home. No matter how many prodigal miles we've put on our bodies, we're always welcome home. There are other people here that... Um, maybe have never ever had communion before, or maybe they've never ever made a commitment to you before in their own heart, will you let them just crack the door open, Lord? I'm not asking them to bust it down. I just want them to crack it open and say, Jesus, I, I do believe. I know I can't see you. I know I can't prove it, but I, I do know that even if I think I'm a B plus, I know I'm never going to be perfect, and I need for you to save me. Lord, just help them to feel the fact that you've done it in their life. The work that we do is to believe in you. And for the rest of us, we just remember this is the most awesome weekend to have communion ever because of the stupid look of joy that it gives us. Be with us in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.